0: okay hello beautiful humans welcome back to the bitcoin stoa as a reminder this is a community funded project so if you enjoy listening you can support our work by sending some sats to the qr code on bitcoinstoa.com which is our website uh, or you can listen through fountain app and that allows you to boost or stream sats current moscow time is 3789 at 793406, and for those unfamiliar with moscow time This is being recorded at Bitcoin block 793.406, and with one U.S. dollar, you can currently purchase 3,789 sats. This might not be super shocking right now, but the hope is that when this lives in the interwebs in the next decade, uh, that becomes sort of a shocking timestamp uh, of where we are right now and the opportunity we have right now. So with that said, it's my honor to welcome Luke Broyles to the STOA to share his wisdom and his perspective on Bitcoin. So, Luke, welcome and thanks for being here.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, Yeah, we appreciate your time. I'm super excited for the interview today and I was kind of reviewing what I had written down and, you know, probably after a whirlwind of podcast interviews uh you might be getting tired of introducing yourself so before we ask some specific questions before i go through some specific questions i want to start this one off a little bit differently uh with a really broad question and you can feel free to take it whatever direction you want and for as long as you want why do you care about bitcoin
1: (laughs) um well i care because i care about beautiful things i'm outside right now it's absolutely gorgeous there are flowers all over there's a little hummingbird that just showed up uh, across the way actually and and i i love beautiful things i love nature um i've been very fortunate to go to places around the world where i've met people that live in beautiful places that, <clears throat> that um don't have the same luxuries that we do here in the west uh um, are you're so you're in moscow is that unless no i'm in
0: um i'm in montreal canada moscow time was it got like a huge amount of hype because Jack Dorsey did, I think.
1: Oh, uh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. so it's basically the Bitcoin block and how many sats you can buy with the US dollar. And I always timestamp with that. I took that from Gigi.
1: Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Well, well. anyway, I was going to say that, you know, if if you're, if you're over there, you know, we would be perceived enemies right now, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and like, even, even though you aren't, I, I do have friends over in Russia. And so when, when you have people that are in nations that are at war, and or proxy war and and you've met people that don't have the same luxuries and comforts that we have here in the West and the West first world developed world, what do you want to call it? Um, it really is upsetting, really is frustrating. Um, i I'm of the personal conviction that I should do the best I can when I'm here on earth, and I should make as many lives. Um, Better as I possibly can, and I know that bettering technology does not necessarily make lives better. It does not necessarily make happiness improve. You know, there are, and it, it's one of the things I worry about. You know, there are far more many people here in the West that are depressed. I would say, as a percentage basis, than people in the rest of the world. So, you know, it, it's it's a complicated thing. But the more I think about it, it's just the more obvious it becomes to me that the better we can upgrade everyone in the world to better forms of energy and higher forms of energy, the better it would be. I was in Guatemala recently on a mission trip and that's exactly what we're doing. They use open firewood stoves. And by just upgrading them to the next tier up of a enclosed stove, it changes their life. It changes their environment. It changes their kids' future. It changes their ability to have freedom during the day. I mean, it, it changes education. It changes everything in their culture. And it became clear to me, not directly, indirectly over the course of years over the last you know over the last few years um, that money and the corruption of money is the foundation of society and so if we could upgrade our monetary energy if we could upgrade the energy at which we store for the future that makes the future a lot brighter and so in the same way I love nature in the same way I love the little critters in the same way that I do my best to love my neighbor and love People to serve. It's like to me, it just became obvious that the most effective way at which to service the highest number of people around the world globally is to upgrade their money. Uh, you know, I, I've i I've been involved, or not necessarily involved. I, I've been. I my my dad's a pastor, and I have many friends and, and family and connections in the nonprofit Christian church, Christian missionary world, and so many of these groups don't realize if the the positive implications of what bitcoin could do for them you know it's i've seen people put so much so many resources into one mission or one directive or one objective and it's just what if we could indirectly add fuel to the fire to every positive movement every all positive momentum simultaneously and to me that's what upgrading the money seems to do and so perhaps for alternates to Bitcoin, um, maybe gold, maybe something else you've not thought of yet, but I, I can't find it. I can't see it. So anyway, when you find something that is that beautiful, when you have, when you find something that has that promise, when you find something that has the potential to improve that many lives, I, I just, I can't justify anything else in my time. So, yeah.
0: That's a great yeah. answer. Yeah, I remember um I think it was Jack Dorsey said on stage, I think at Bitcoin 2022, he said Bitcoin is the most important thing in the world. Uh and I kinda it really sunk in at that point. Like I you know, two years ago, I was trying really hard to help people take better care of themselves. I used to be a symptom treater. I'm trained as a physio, realized quickly that actually the the most um effective way to help people improve their health is not to treat the symptoms of their disease. It's actually to help them understand why they have the problem and empower them to um, resolve it themselves by making changes in their lives. And so spent a lot of time trying to solve the health problem and came to this kind of hard realization a couple of years ago that actually the health problem is simply a derivative of the money problem. Because the most popular, the most common thing I heard from people that were having problems with their health was you know they're like I want to be healthy I was like what's the biggest obstacle to you perceiving uh, yourself as be- being able to be healthier and they said I don't have the time and what i realized was so long as everyone's time is being stolen from them nobody will have the time to take care of themselves and the the tool we use to store our time is money so if our money's being if our money's corrupted everyone's health is going to suffer not to mention so many other Areas of society, so yeah, I agree. Once you really like dive through all the deep layer cake of all the big problems we have, and there's no shortage of problems, um, and you know if you find a deep sense of meaning in in reducing suffering, and you realize that actually the biggest source of suffering globally for humanity is the money, then we already have a solution. That's the crazy part, right? It's not like it's not like you and I have to create some new form of money. It exists, um, and the only work to do is to improve the financial literacy so that people can understand it exists and understand how to shift over to the new world where they can protect their own energy and actually have property rights. Um, So yeah, I share it. You know, it's always a treat to speak to people who kind of have done a lot of work to understand this and find the sense of meaning and are, are visibly doing the work to help upgrade the world in their own way, but also anchored to this same sort of deep sense of purpose, where if we fix the money, most of the world's problems, may not be completely fixed, but it it is a it's almost impossible to fix those problems if we don't fix the money. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean the, the thing I would add to that is that I, I yeah people get upset me when I bring this up, but I, I just like to be transparent, you know, that I'm I'm a Christian, so I have a given worldview. And my worldview, or the Christian worldview is that the fundamental problem is sin. And I and I would say that on, on top of that, the fundamental problem with society or societal structures is that humans are able to manipulate the money. And so it's like, th- this is why, you know, people have asked me why so many religious people and atheists both have grabbed on the Bitcoin. I think atheists do because they like to focus on rationality and and have, have that be their emphasis. And the Christians uh, tend to glab onto it for, for that reason, that they, that they already and their belief system already believe that no human is perfect and that when you give any human any amount of power that they'll just distort it they'll just corrupt it and so you know you you pair that together it's like oh well of course it becomes obvious that no human can be in control and the only thing that makes sense is something outside human control and and so, and so like you were saying with with food <laughs> like to me that, that's one of the things that have really hammered on i think that's one of the reasons people like trying to say because i think Us Bitcoiners, we like to focus on the symptoms like you're saying. But I think if you just focus on the underlying problem, I think everything else becomes so much more obvious. If if you explain to people that if you give anyone, doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, government, corporation, bank, whatever. If you give people the ability to create money, a.k.a. print energy, well, of course, they're going to disrupt the food. And and like you're saying, it's so frustrating because people, you know, I, I would say number one reason is that they don't have time. And number two reason is that all the expedient things are cheaper. It is right. cheaper to buy the garbage food. Why is that? It's because we print money to subsidize the garbage food. It, it, I mean, when it, it, when you view it that, it becomes so obvious. You know, right. that if, if humans, if we have a needless, say, 20 to 30 percent tax every year between unnecessary taxes plus inflation and debasement, and that's just in the United States, like in Europe, it's probably, you know, I don't know, five, ten percent higher than that. And the rest of the world is probably like fifty percent. You know, if the whole world is spending twenty to fifty percent of their working hours every single year just outpacing the rate of exponential decay of their money, I mean, <laughs> it's it's like of course they don't have time for exercise. Uh, number one, physical health. So then of course, number two, their mental state's gonna get messed up, you know, and, and it's like Normies don't understand that, like, why do we have all of these mental health epidemics over the last couple of decades? Yeah, sure, these smart devices are certainly a part to play, but I would argue that as large of a contributor, if not a larger contributor, is this underlying sense of hopelessness, underlying sense that we can't save for the future. Because, I mean, you know, it's like, well, people would still scroll on the phones if we had that, and I think perhaps they would, but I think a big part of the reason why we doom scroll. our phones is because we have this underlying sense of fear and of uncertainty about what's wrong and we're trying to figure that out and anyway um yeah all that says that when it comes to symptoms versus problems i fully agree when it comes to food and everything else it's um it's really remarkable
0: yeah i think often you know it's painful to see yourself falling behind to work you know exponentially harder and see yourself falling further and further behind i think often you know, I agree there's there's issues with technology and the way it's being applied in the game theory. That's, you know, the asymmetry of power between the companies who have billions of dollars to learn how to hack human psychology and the human who really isn't prepared to deal with this crazy yeah. technology. But I think often our devices are, are sort of like pain control, right? It's like a painkiller where I'm, I'm feeling so lost in this chaos. So, um, sad that I keep falling behind, despite me doing my best efforts to work harder and make ends meet that just getting a dopamine dump from this supercomputer in my pocket makes me feel a little bit better for a short period of time. And, you know, I don't fault anyone for doing that. My question is, and why are people looking for pain relief? It's why the pain, like where's the pain coming from and what is actually causing the pain, which is a much harder question, um, to ask to actually much harder problem to solve. But inevitably, all roads, all of those inquiries lead me lead, have led me to the same end destination, which is the money is corrupted, it's resulting in this plethora of different ways that it manifests uh, that the symptoms manifest with each person and each culture and each society. but at the end of the day, it's still the money um, yeah and. Yeah, I, I, I actually heard you say something very recently on the Bitcoin matrix podcast. Um, and you said, I'm, I'm risk averse. I don't want to speculate in investments yeah. when I can just own the money. And I think for most people, I think part of the thing I battle with now, and I really try and gain an awareness of is, like you said before, when you see it, it becomes so incredibly obvious. Right. It's like, how are people not seeing this? And sometimes the hardest part actually for Bitcoiners is to reconcile where they've gotten to compared to where the average person is right now and sort of bridging that gap and speaking, um, meeting people where they are when and, and the longer you see it and the more you see people not being aware of it the more frustrating it becomes right so, yeah. so you go through these i've gone through these ebbs and flows where i've just become so frustrated Where i'm like what's the point people don't want to understand they don't want to yes. learn but i always revert back to well i'm trying to speak to them in a way that reflects my current understanding which is yeah. many levels beyond where they currently are and so You know, that sentence you said on the Bitcoin Matrix podcast where you don't want to, you're risk averse, you don't want to speculate in investments, you just want to own the money. I think the average person might not really comprehend where that comes from. So to someone who knows there's a problem, feels there's a problem, is curious and is ready to kind of learn and understand, okay, well, where is this coming from and how can I fix it? Can you explain that sentence a bit um, about what it means to just own the money and not speculate in investments?
1: Well, I got to be brutally honest, and I felt this especially... You know, I've been pounding the table on Bitcoin for years to people in my real life, and then now I've been pounding the Bitcoin table for like six months or so online now, and and the feedback's been wonderful. Feedback's been so positive, but I I just gotta be honest, and that people are some people are really dumb, and some people are really unintelligent, really arrogant. So stuff it, like it makes my blood boil because they are being. So irresponsible on behalf of their clients, on behalf of their families, on behalf of their organizations. And frankly, that very small minority of people wears down my patience so much. But for myself, for you, for everyone else watching that's trying to explain this, it's so important to emphasize that while those people exist, there are so many more people that are trying to understand and just they aren't there yet. And it's not a lack of intelligence it's not a lack of trying to understand. It's simply that they're trying to understand something that is the polar opposite of their entire worldviews that they've had for decades. And so so, so my line is that if someone is aware about Bitcoin and they think it might be important and they have no curiosity to it and they're writing it off without paying, you know, they're an idiot in my <laughs> view. But if if someone's actually asking questions like the one you just asked and actually trying to learn, then I I, I think that they'll... Well, but hopefully it'll be fine. Hopefully they'll figure it out in, in, in time. But basically we have to frame it from views of technology. That if I were to go back in time, I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm twenty-four. So, you know, if I were to go back to my six year old self even, or five year old self, and explain what we're doing right now, hmm. like on this call, like I don't think I could. And that's my lifetime. I'm under twenty-five. I mean, my my, my grandmother is ninety. You know, I mean, she, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how I would explain to her what I'm doing right now. 70 years ago, when she was yeah. my age, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to do that. And and my favorite metaphor right is that the horse versus a locomotive. If if we were to go back in time, just 200 years, which again sounds like a long period of time to us because we're the, the modern era, quote unquote. But at, at, like 200 years is nothing any in any point history. It, it's it's a blink. And the only reason we think it's a long time is because we live in this weird period where technology has been escalating so quickly in relation to everything else. And so if we go back in time, a mere 200 years, twice the age of my grandmother's life or twice the age of most people's grandparents' life, two or three times their age. um, You know, how would we explain to them the, the locomotive if all they've known is a horse, their parents knew the horse, their grandparents knew the horse, Fifty generations ago, all they knew was a horse. I mean, literally, from the time of the Romans and, and, and the Renaissance and every other point in history up until the locomotive, all we knew was that the horse was the best form of transportation. That's all we knew. And you really can't explain what a lifeless hunk of metal can do to someone that only has known metal as something that's in the ground that is too expensive to dig out. It's like it's not one thing that's impossible to understand. You're talking about like a dozen things that are impossible to understand. Right. Because it, it takes so much energy to get the material out of the ground. It takes so much energy to get the momentum going and to continue that momentum for a long distance. And then on top of that, it solves problems that don't even exist yet. Because people of that time, they don't have to go to university in another city, they don't have to do commerce and business with other nations across long distances of land. Like these problems don't even exist yet. And as the locomotive progresses, then these problems begin to arise, you know, or or take the national strategic perspective. It's like, why do you need to use a locomotive to transport giant heavy art- artillery when that artillery doesn't even exist yet? And so that that's that's the context I, I really want to say before I answer your question that if someone's trying to learn and they haven't figured it out yet, like it's okay, if you're trying to learn. You're not dumb. The people aren't trying to learn. Those are the dumb people. (laughs) You're one of the smart ones. And believe me, there aren't a lot of you in the big scheme of things. But ultimately, that's what's hard to understand, is that there are two competing paradigms. And so what is the paradigm we have now? What is the Bitcoin theoretical paradigm? And the problem of why people don't understand the Bitcoin paradigm is they don't understand the paradigm we're currently in. Right. The paradigm we're currently in, if I have my wallet on me might have some cash on me. It'd be funny if I do. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, <laughs> which I guess is fitting. But <laughs> yeah, so like we have paper money, you know, and that's the form of money we use. Money is information. And for money to have value, it has to be scarce. And so the only way for us to validate that scarcity is to entrust that scarcity with a small group of individuals that can enforce that. Um, in the United States government, Right now, this period of history is the strongest single entity on the face of the planet. And so they are the ones in charge of enforcing the scarcity of the U.S. dollar and all the other nations enforce their own scarcities with their own monies. And that's a good thing, because if they didn't, then the money would just, it since it's information, it would just explode, become infinitely abundant, and then you can't use it anymore. It becomes worthless. And so when you view money that way, it's just information and that the government is just enforcing that scarcity, then you have to ask the question: Why are they loosening that scarcity every single year at a two percent target? Really, it's higher than that. It's probably going to be higher than that for many more years, and then it's probably just going to continue after that. But why are they doing that? It's well, because credit credit functions uh, on it's borrowing today for the future, and it's easier to just make the money worth less into the future make, because it makes it easier to pay back. You know, when the United States government borrows money to Create things to give its voters. When we're printing money, aka printing energy, aka distorting the information and making it more abundant and diluting our money, that's how we're paying for all these goods and services and promises to voters that we couldn't otherwise do.
0: And to the average person, all they're seeing is I'm get this government is promising and giving me something, right? Like when they don't understand the consequences of, you know. They don't understand the mechanics of how this yes. thing works. They don't see the consequence that, oh, geez, I got this thing, but now all the money I own and all the things I own that are denominated in the money just got devalued. If they don't see that part, all they're seeing is, I'm getting this thing, I'm going to vote for this person. And so it's almost like the lack of monetary literacy is what allows yeah. people to be manipulated in a way that they don't even know what's going on.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, 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 the United States government exploiting the short-term mindset of everyone on the planet. And in them exploiting that, they're actually escalating the short-term mindset. You know, I, I hear boomers all the time, <laughs> Well, why, why are you young people don't think so long-term future? It's like, well, there's, there's a lot, it, it's a feedback loop that the more the government exploits the people, the less rational the people become, which means that they vote less rational people in the government, which means it's less rational. It's just, it continues down and down and down forever. and And that's, that's exactly what we see in hundreds of historical examples. You know, you, you, have, you have all this innovation based on technology. And as all this prosperity comes, human arrogance, again, sin, again, corruption. We think that we can print energy out of nothing. And so we do. And that incentivizes shorter-term mindset. That incentivizes bad food production. That incentivizes corrupt education. That incentivizes um, less affordable medical care. That, that, just, that incentivizes insanity and disincentivizes sanity and in the entire society. Subtly and mostly in the future. So, by the time we get there, we don't realize that the problem was already there for years or decades. It's just been brewing for all that time. And so, and and then it's a feedback loop and it just continues down until the insanity has to reset. And then it comes up again from the ashes and then you get a new society. And so, that's a really big problem. (laughs) And so, what have we done to counteract that problem? What are we doing right now to counteract that problem? When you can't trust that money, to retain its value in the future, you have to buy things that have that scarcity there. Because if you can't trust the money to be scarce over a long period of time, you have to buy things that are scarce. And right now, what are the main things we buy? Bonds, real estate, stocks. And so that's what most people will save in. You know, most retirees in America, those are the three main things they have. They have a 60, 40 allocation, 60%, 40% portfolio between stocks and bonds. And then they have their house too, typically. Um, Or perhaps for some people that have much higher percentages to one thing or another. Perhaps some people have alternative assets like fine art or gold, things like that. But one way or another, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to buy things that have a brute force physical cost to create, meaning they're very difficult to create. It's very difficult to make more gold. It's very difficult to make more real estate. We can do that. But it's much more difficult to do that than, say, a company dilute their stock or a government dilute their currency. And so that's what we're trying to do. And and what is considered low risk right now is to diversify among a whole lot of different things that have that high brute force physical cost and enforce that scarcity. So, you know, let's say you're trying to save for your future and you're not trying to get rich. You're just trying to save for your future. What you do is you take your earnings, you take your monetary energy that you've saved up from working and you deploy it in all these different things and you diversify so that no matter what happens, no matter how far the currency is diluted or no matter what kind of economic turmoils head your way you're probably going to own something that's probably going to at least retain some of its value and most people don't think that way what most people think is they think i go to a job i get my money i put my money in the stock market and the stocks go up in value because the economy is getting more valuable and it's like (laughs) yes that's true but if the economy is getting more valuable prices would come down not go up and that's what right. people miss. They think this, the SP 500 has doubled over the last 10 years. So that means the economy's gotten twice more valuable. It's like, no, no, that's not what's happened. The, the amount of currency has gone up because when things become more productive, they get cheaper in terms of that currency. But we think they become more valuable because GDP gets more valuable, whatever. It's like, that, that's not true. You have X number of currency units and you're enforcing that scarcity. The more abundance you have in society, atop or, or let's say priced in terms of that currency, the prices would come down. They won't go up it's it's this subtle psychological trick that everyone believes and it's simply wrong it's simply not true you don't create wealth by adding more zeros to numbers you don't do that and yet people think they're making money because we're adding more zeros and the harsh realization once you have that is how do we transition from one to the other how do we transition from a system that depends on adding new zeros for the government to afford itself and for these assets and securities and these business models to not collapse, when at the same time, it's completely devoid from reality. And that's the transition we're in right now. That's why things feel so weird right now. That's why bonds since 2020 have been in such turmoil. I would argue that's a big part of why Russia is invading Ukraine. I would argue that's a big part of why, you know when it comes to health issues, when everything else we're mentioning, it's like, why does everything feel like it's getting so weird? It's because reality, and delusion are in this head-on collision right now and it's just beginning but that collision is only going to get more paramount over the next 3, 5, 10, 20 years and if people are not paying attention to that and trying to understand this conflict then they're going to be fully positioned on the wrong side and, and, and implications here and I know this is a long answer but I, I'm just laying out the whole case here but I like it yeah, but, but the implications, like we have lived in a world where the money is bad. And so what we have to do to counteract that is we have to save in things that are forms of less bad money. Gold is a form of less bad money than cash. Real estate is too. Stocks are too. And so because the money's bad, we have to save in less bad assets. But what happens when the money becomes good? What happens when you have good money? Well, now the assets are bad. And so right now, we are transitioning from the old world of scarcity, where there's a scarcity of assets in relation to the money, and therefore you save in assets so you have more money in the future, to where now we're transitioning to hyperabundance and scarcity of money, to now where you don't want assets, you want the money. And so the painful realization people are going to have in this transition cost is simply that they have been saving for years and years and for older people, decades. In assets, in stocks, CDs, mutual funds, banknotes, real estate, gold, whatever. And now everything is going to start coming down on real terms all at once. And they're not going to understand that that's happening because the dollar denominated price is going up. And Bitcoin will go up in relation to everything else. And everything will just collapse in terms of, of Bitcoin. you know, And, and it's going to be very painful for people. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And... Best thing someone can do is just get off zero with the Bitcoin allocation in case that theory is correct. They don't have to go all in. They don't have to get 100% allocation. They just need some reasonable allocation that they can buy and put in proper storage. Let it sit there and not worry about it, not freak out at night about it, not panic sell it when it goes down 50% and not buy it thinking they're a genius when it goes up by 500%. That's that's what people should be doing. Yeah, Most people aren't doing that because they're too scared and because they don't understand what's happening, and because they're viewing risk incorrectly. It is correct to view... The way most people are viewing risk right now is correct in the former worldview. But the problem is that if the worldview changes, your entire view of risk also has to change. And most people's view of risk is not going to change because that's mostly an emotional feeling. It's not logical. And I would argue that... As offensive as it seems, as counterintuitive as it seems, as ridiculous as it seems, the lowest risk thing on planet Earth right now for any time horizon in the future, any reasonable time horizon future, let's say, is Bitcoin. I would argue Bitcoin is already lower risk than bonds, lower risk than stocks, lower risk than real estate. And people, people, that's when their eyes glaze over. It's like, okay, you're high, you're whatever. And it's like, I'm saying that now. So that in five years, when you start to consider, maybe Luke is right, then it'll click. Because if I tell you all oh, Bitcoin's going to go up, it's like, it won't click. But I'm saying that now because most people don't realize that. Most people think that they will buy Bitcoin when they finally want to get in and get rich quick. No, no. You're going to buy Bitcoin when you start to freak out because yes. you realize everything else is about to fall 90% in value in the next six months and then 90% again in the four months after that and then 90% again. And the three months after forever. That, that that's what's happening now, and it, to, to a much slower degree. But that's more or less essentially what's happening: that we're leaving this world of scarcity and abundant money, and we're entering this world of hyperabundance and scarce money. And probably what's going to happen is Bitcoin's going to double and double and double and double, and then people will begin to freak out because they realize, wait a minute, Bitcoin is money, and if it is money, and if it is good money, wow, sorry about that. That's okay. Garbage, garbage political currency units, the garbage man is here to <laughs> take them out to slaughter, I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that's that's what I mean. That saying that that people within the world view of diversification view these Bitcoiners that are taking extremely high allocations to Bitcoin as delusional and as extremely high risk. Hmm. And they're right from their worldview, they're right. You don't take that high allocation in one scarce asset because when the money's bad, you diversify it into many scarce assets. When you view from the Bitcoin world, and you realize that this money is good, and if the money is good, all assets become high risk. And when you're diversifying, you're diversifying into garbage. You know why would you hold a portfolio of stocks, real estate, and bonds when Bitcoin is simply it, when all those things will simply go down in terms of Bitcoin in right. the next six months, in the next six years, and the next sixty years? Why would you hold anything else that have that has higher risk? You know, with Bitcoin. It's virtually indestructible because, because it's digital. That, that, that's the irony. It's virtually indestructible in the same way that the whole world is going to defend the internet or the whole world is going to defend the Bible or the whole world is going to defend the Constitution. The whole world will defend that information. They will copy it. They will duplicate it. They will save it indefinitely forever. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. You know, with, with stocks, you're taking on dozens of kinds of risk. With bonds, you're taking on fewer kinds of risk but much higher forms of risk with real estate you're taking on all kinds of risk and we can make more real estate we can make more companies that produce more value for the world at lower and lower margins indefinitely and with bitcoin you can't do that's it's design it is designed to be anti-fragile it is designed to resist duplication it is designed to reject all future dilution of its money and that's what makes it better money and so i actually really i've really gone on on here but i i guess I guess my, my message to people is that what I just said, you know, for Bitcoiners, they probably understand what, I, what I'm saying right now, more or less. But well, actually, not necessarily. A lot of them don't understand that yet, which is which is the funny thing. I would argue of all the Bitcoiners that own Bitcoin, you know, maybe 10 to 20 percent actually understand what I'm saying right now. But for the people listening that don't yet understand it, it's like if you just take what I said and you let that mull your mind for two to five years, it'll make sense. And then you'll panic sell everything else for Bitcoin as soon as you realize that. And then you'll start becoming like me and just start pounding a table to everyone you know. And you'll wonder how can they not see it because you've changed the worldview and they haven't yet. But even if you don't understand that yet, it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm begging people to take a three to 5% allocation, you know, or, or whatever percent allocation they can justify and buy Bitcoin and just let it sit there and forget about it. And the younger people should have a higher allocation to Bitcoin. Most financial advisors would say, oh, because, because you mean that young people should have a higher risk tolerance. It's like, no, because the younger people are higher risk than the old people. You know, We're leaving the worldview where the older people have higher risk, and now we're entering the world where the young people have higher risk because they're going to face more technological adoption currents. And so it's like, yes, I think everyone should have an allocation of Bitcoin, but reti- retirees need it, young people need it, and young people should probably have a higher allocation because they're going to have even... You know, right now, by the time someone's fifty or sixty, they're having difficulty keeping up with technology. My generation, by the time we're forty, we'll have trouble keeping up. And my kids, maybe by the time they're thirty, we'll have trouble keeping up. I mean, it's it's hmm. it's, it's hard to say. We really don't know, but that seems to be the direction things are going. But even if even if you're just in retirement, you know, or, or you're very risk averse, like I would strongly encourage you get an allocation, because if this theory. If this theory is right, that it sounds fringe, it sounds ridiculous, if it's correct, then Bitcoin is the lowest risk asset on, on the planet and everything else is extremely high risk all of a sudden. Um, so, anyway, yeah. I, ho- hopefully I, I went on a long time about that. So, <laughs> sorry. Well, I,
0: yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a tricky question to answer because you yeah. can either give some superficial um, answer that doesn't have a lot of meaning or you can yeah. actually build it from first principles and give a rational um, sort of, build the rational case for why that is true. And I, I think, you know, I just look at my parents who are both boomers and they've believed their entire life that real estate is a safe investment. And actually all of their experience in their entire lives has reflected that as a fundamental truth. And so for me, someone who's younger than them uh, and who can't possibly know as much about the world as them, because they've lived longer chronologically, they've spent more time on earth. Um, It's a very, you know, the cognitive dissonance of them having to come to terms with the fact that everything they think they know about money is actually wrong and that they've been misled uh, at an increasing pace and that everything they've saved in their lives is becoming exponentially more quickly at risk uh, is a hard sell. And so I think it's kind of like, it's very similar to health. People either learn or people, change is hard. Massive change is very hard. And the only way they're going to do it is, I think there's only two routes. The unco- the vastly uncommon route is curiosity. The vastly common route is pain. And people will only change, they have a high amount, if something is really hard to do, like if it's really hard to make these massive changes in how you see the world. And the difficulty is not actually so much in the learning, it's actually mostly in the unlearning. It's in the admitting that you're wrong. Um, they'll learn through pain. Like you said, when they see all of their things that they own that they thought were less risky to own, collapsing in value um, relative to Bitcoin, relative to scarce assets, um, then they start to switch. And the I, I think part of the mission, at least for me, part of my motivation is how many people who have some semblance of that curiosity um, can I help? Like, how many people's socioeconomic lives can I help before it's too late? And You know, at a certain point, we have to conserve our energy. It's like it's not worth I'm not trying to convince anyone that Bitcoin is what it is anymore. All I want to do is meet people where they are, who have expressed curiosity and actually want to do the work to learn and make sure that they know where to go based on where they're at and what they're willing to kind of look into and change right now. Um, And, you know, we live in a landscape where there's more resources and more voices that are explaining this in different ways than ever before. And so it's almost like, okay, if I can be this like database of things I've learned from tools I've learned from at different stages and make sure that the right person meets the right resource based on where they're at, that is kind of, that's the game now. And it's actually a lot of fun now that I'm not trying to butt heads with people and change people's minds. I'm just trying to make sure that someone who wants to spend time learning has that time well spent. They don't get lost. They don't get sucked into the black hole of crypto and, you know, all of this stuff. It's really just. How do we help people educate themselves? Um, yeah, and and those who are most curious, and those who do discover it through curiosity, like I got insanely lucky and discovered Bitcoin, started learning about Bitcoin in 2016 just through curiosity, um, and you know it's been the deepest and most vast rabbit hole I've ever gone down in my life. But it has actually exponentially improved my life in areas far beyond any realm I could have imagined. Right, like my my curiosity for human psychology and for economics and for even politics, like how does this work? Why is it designed this way? Who, who pulls the strings? Like why do why do these things happen? Um, it just really, it's like the best degree you can ever get is a self directed degree yeah. in Bitcoin because it actually covers almost every area. There's it's hard to find an area of study that Bitcoin doesn't touch in some way if you're in it for long enough. Yeah. Um, so
1: yeah, no, I I get it. I, I've talked and perhaps this might ruffle some feathers but one of the most frustrating things to me is talking to a phd whether it's in person or online and they say things that are just not true and they are so ignorant that they are sure they're smart yep. and they're just sure i'm wrong i think i'm right i think there's a possibility i'm wrong but it's like it some something you were saying earlier it's like some people and again i'm not wanting to say everyone that's against bitcoin falls in this category. However this you know it's significant. But these people are so arrogant and 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 I understand why they think that way because like you said they've been reinforced for decades to think that they're right. You mentioned real estate. They they think real estate goes up in value. They're so sure and and, and that and like what you're saying with curiosity versus comfort. That's the irony. But the people In charge of money, the people in charge of managing money have been trained for thousands of hours to think a certain way. And they've seen that worldview been reinforced in their mind for thousands of hours more for Hmm. decades. And these younger people are coming in. These outliers are coming in. And they're doing these ridiculous things. You know, microstrategy. You know, people think Michael Saylor is crazy (laughs) because he he has taken his entire company and he has bet it all on Bitcoin. He sold all of his stock. Put it in Bitcoin. He raised debt. Put it all in Bitcoin. Not, didn't diversify. All in. All Bitcoin. Smash buy. No dollar cost average. No no limiting of leverage. Like it, it's it's completely nonsensical. And the fact that his company's value's gone up by factor or his enterprise value got gone up by factor, like people don't like these people don't understand it because he's outsiders. It doesn't matter if they're rich and, and older. It doesn't matter if they're young and, and more broke, <laughs> like me. It they think we're crazy. And it frustrates me, like I said, because was are patients, but I understand because they've been trained to think that way. And they, it, and the frustrating thing for me, for the people in the middle, for the people that simply don't know any better out, out of ignorance and, and haven't done the thinking, haven't done the work, they're going to get caught up in it because those people, the, those er, that arrogant subset, they will not learn this.
0: And they until, have a lot of influence. That's the and, unfortunate thing. they have thing. a
1: lot of influence. And they will not learn this until their arrogance is collapsed into humility because of the pain, like you said. Because they have no curiosity. And they will not learn this until the pain is so great for them personally that they will learn this. They will lose all their clients' money. They will go bankrupt before they learn this. And that's what people today don't understand. That it's like this. And they'll probably I, I,
0: they'll probably blame Bitcoin for them going bankrupt.
1: They they will blame Bitcoin. That's exactly what they will do. You're, you're exactly right. That that's exactly what they will do. It, it's like it's like again, this isn't I, I, I don't want to make this about them because I'm just as far as them, but it's it it's about technological paradigms. If you have horse breeders that for thousands of years have been taught how to breed horses generation after generation after this is just what we do. This is how we make a better horse, a better, you know, yep. beautiful horse, a faster horse, or whatever horse, or, or more horses like, this is what we do. And you have all these locomotive lunatics coming in saying that this lifeless hunk of metal is, is going to move. Okay, that's crazy. It's going to move faster than the horse. That's crazy. For a longer distance, that's crazy. Moving more weight, that's crazy. And eventually be cheaper, that's crazy. And, oh, that's not the final form. You know, Because even the people that are promoting the locomotives in the early 19th century, they don't understand the car. They don't understand the spaceship. They don't understand the satellite. They don't understand all these other things or, or, or the Internet which is perhaps even more difficult to understand than a satellite. Um, it's like the, the, we're here today in the early 2020s pounding the table on the locomotive saying this is going to obliterate your business model. And, and the horse people are saying, Oh, you're, you're, you're speculating or this high risk thing. You don't know what you're talking about. Horses are never going to go away, blah, blah, blah. Horses are lower risk. You know, you got to diversify, you know, with your stallions and your mares and all this and whatever, and your colts. It's like, it's complete nonsense. You're, you're diversifying into inferior piece of technology that as soon as the masses realize is inferior, it's like it's it's completely gone. And these people are so arrogant that they're not even willing to look in the general direction of locomotive that by the time it becomes apparent to all society, it it will have already happened. And so and so anyway, all I say is like your point about curiosity versus arrogance is so true. I don't think that's just a fitness thing. I think that you know I think it's a fitness thing, I don't think it's a Bitcoin thing. I, I think it's just a general human thing. For whatever reason, I was lucky enough to be curious. To discover bitcoin i'm not lucky for buying it early like like we are now i'm lucky that i was curious to pay attention and, and buy it you know if if i was a couple years older i probably would have been too arrogant and i probably would not have paid attention because i would have thought i was smart um but that, that's that's the unfortunate reality right now that there's a small subset of the population that is extremely stubborn and extremely arrogant there's a much smaller percentage of population that's extremely curious and then most people in the middle are caught between the two and they don't know which to believe and the, the unfortunate reality is that most people are going to get blindsided and again they will come to bitcoin when their pain point is crossed and they're they won't come to bitcoin when they're excited about bitcoin they will come to bitcoin when they're terrified of owning anything else and that's that's what's going to happen and i i say that so definitively because i'm that confident <laughs> You know, Bitcoin's going to start going up. It's not going to come down, and people are going to ask us, you and me, the people that were ignoring us. They're going to be like, "Hey, should I buy some?" It's like we'll be we'll be like shaking them, like <laughs> anyway. It's, Every, it's everyone it's, gets
0: Bitcoin at the price they deserve. I think there's so much yeah. packed in, baked into that small sentence yes. that I think reflects fundamental truth and and I think there's a difference. And it's a subtle difference, but it's very important between being very confident about something because you simply understand the underpinnings of why that thing is the way that you view it, and then being certain about something. Because you can be highly confident about something, but still flexible in your thinking to be open, to be proven wrong.
1: Definitely, definitely. Or you can be
0: insanely rigid and certain. And in a time where things are changing faster than ever in, in bigger ways than ever, the cost of rigidity uh, is getting extremely high to the point where like your life depends on your life can actually be the consequence of being too rigid, right? It's like adapt or die has never held more true than now. And yeah, it's just like, it's almost like instead of trying to teach people about Bitcoin, how can we inspire them to be curious and open-minded enough to even just hear a perspective with good faith instead of prejudging it because everything um, that they've learned to date says that that's false. It's like, well, can you just be a bit curious and just hear me out and entertain this? Um, I think that's, that's almost the fundamental ask is like, can you be curious enough to be open-minded that the way you're thinking about things could be wrong? Um, and here, here's like my approach from first principles about why I feel this way. Let's have a dialogue about it. I'm just and i'm not just gonna yell at you and say buy bitcoin i want you to understand money so that you can see for yourself yeah. that the only thing the only path forward is bitcoin
1: well yeah the idea is that i think actually most pain will not be from people that don't buy bitcoin i think most of the pain would be from people that buy and then sell like mm. okay right now bitcoin's yeah. thirty thousand dollars let's say i convince somebody to buy a whole bitcoin today at thirty thousand dollars okay let's say they hold it for five years it goes up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars and they sell it. They think they're genius because they made a five hundred percent return. they smashed Wall Street. Oh my goodness, they're so smart. Blah, blah, blah It's like they're still viewing it from from the old world view. They're yeah. still viewing Bitcoin as a means to get more dollars, in the same way you view real estate and stocks to get more dollars. And it, you're even. So, they didn't buy it in a way, respectfully speaking. It's because you, you, you bought it, you did the work, you, you made it 99 yards to the touchdown line, and you, you fumbled and you missed it because you bought it. You bought it 30K, you sold at 150K, and then Bitcoin went to 800K, and then 8,000K, and then 8 millionK eventually right. in, in the far future. And it's like, and, and it's, it's anyway, I think that's where most pain comes from. It's like, imagine buying Bitcoin in 2012 at $11. And then selling it at one thousand, it's like okay, you made thousand bucks, you know. But now Bitcoin's thirty grand, and it's like depths of the bear market. Okay, what about when Bitcoin's ten million dollars? It's like you're gonna feel smart then. I mean, I think that's when a lot of the pain's gonna come. I think, I think most pain's not gonna come when people have it about Bitcoin. I think it's gonna come when people buy it, they sell it for massive profit, and and then that's, and then that's it. But uh, but yeah. But one one thing I want to say too, and some of you said made me think of this, but I want to emphasize. um, I want to emphasize too that the difference between bitcoiners that come across as very arrogant, and many of them are very arrogant, versus traditional finance people, is that the bitcoiners are paying attention to the strengths and weaknesses of the legacy financial system, and the legacy financial system is paying zero attention. To Bitcoin. That's the Mm -hmm. difference. It's like someone promoting the locomotive saying this thing is gonna be really big deal. Right now, the horse is faster. Right now, the horse is cheaper. Right now, this is that the other. Yes. But the locomotive still is going to completely obliterate them for this and that, the other reason. And that's why right now is the perfect time to transition before it becomes apparent and obvious to everyone. And and what what the horse people are doing is they're saying, or they're not even saying anything; they're just not looking at it. Yeah, they're writing it off. Yeah, they're, they're completely writing it off, and and that's the difference. That the bitcoiners I talk to can explain the bond market and the banking system better than the people in the bond market and the banking system. Like that's I've a really talked, good to, point. I've talked to financial advisors that understand Bitcoin and don't understand Bitcoin. Like, yeah, it, it's frustrating because a lot of people that don't understand Bitcoin they won't go on a show with me. Because I just want to record it, and I don't shame people, I just let them talk, and they their ignorance it, it, and people their ignorance becomes obvious just from them yeah. talking. I don't have to probe, I don't have to do anything. It becomes obvious they have they have no idea what they're talking about when when it comes to the traditional market, not not even Bitcoin, when it comes to tradition they don't they don't know what they're talking about. and it like like things that are not a matter of opinion, things are a matter of fact they don't they don't know how these things. Happen. they don't know how these things transpire all they know are the bullet points of, of what we talked about that you dca you buy in this basket this and that the other and you do this and that the other four percent rule 60 40 portfolio sharp ratio blah blah they know the talking points but they don't know the the engineering they don't know the mechanics under it and so and so that's the difference you know if if you have two worldviews one worldview understands both and is hardcore in one world view and one worldview and promoting it and the other one understands the current worldview pretty well, but not as well as it should. And they have no idea how the other worldview even works. It's like, to me, that alone should be emphasis enough of what direction you should lean. And most people right now, most most people saving for retirement, most you know people with a portfolio right now are all in one worldview. They're all in traditional worldview. Yeah. And that's probably not a good idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny how the people who talk about diversification and its values like aren't diversified in world views at all. <laughs>
1: like, well, well, that's the thing. If you're diversified between stocks and bonds and and cash, you know, in and, and real estate, you're diversified between fiat systems or within fiat systems. It's like right. saying you're diversified between, you know. It's like saying you're diversified between. It, it's like owning all the houses in a neighborhood and saying you're diversified it's like sure you kind of are but you know what if that neighborhood goes down in value what if that zip code goes down in value it's like you're diversified within a very narrow window and that that's the problem most people have so anyway. yeah it's like
0: if you were diversified in the size and look of Yapstones, stones um you didn't do very <laughs> well in the end right because it's all the yeah same yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah it's all the same and i love how like we're really part of the paradigm shift i think is from this mindset of currency, um, like politically engineered units of, of let's call it quote unquote money, um, to (laughs) engineered money. Right. And I I love what sailor says too. He's like, if you go to an engineer and you say, Hey, you're building your planes out of aluminum right now, I think you should diversify and use different metals. It's like. No, no, no. We make the airplane out of aluminum because that's the only metal that can do the job. Everything else falls apart. And you well, know, I well think there's no second best. There's <laughs> no second best, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um yeah, it really is uh it can be a and even I have a personal story about this from very recently. I had uh like a family dinner with my partner's family and her aunt is an accountant, like a fairly high-level accountant. Works at a big firm. Very smart lady. Been working with money her whole life. Like has spent, has been a career accountant and is very high-level in the firm that she works in. And, you know, I, she kind of asked, you know, what what do you do, what what work do you do? Out. And I I said that most of what I do is to work in financial literacy now, specifically help people understand Bitcoin. And she kind of just shrugged it off. I was like, oh, you're one of those. Like I think she just thought I was a crypto bro the minute I said that, and. I just kind of looked at her and I said, can I ask you a question? You've worked in money your entire life. You're an ex- Would you call yourself an expert on money? And it was kind of like, yes. Yes. And I just asked her one question. What is money? And she looked at me <laughs> and was quite confused. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Yeah. But she didn't have an answer. And I saw her a follow-up it, and, time.
1: It, it, can, can I add something to that?
0: Yes, please. The,
1: the problem is not even that she didn't answer it. The problem is that she hasn't ever thought about it. That's yes. the problem. It's okay if you don't have the answer, but you've not even thought about the question.
0: Yes. And the next time I saw her, I said, you know what? I want to ask you this question again. And she looked at me, she was shaking her head. She's like, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I don't know yet. And I was like, wow, not only it's like the, the, the discomfort of not understand, not being able to define something that you've spent your whole life working on is so uncomfortable that you haven't even leaned in a lot, a tiny bit to even try to define that despite despite clearly thinking that, thinking about it and knowing I was going to ask you again. So I think that it was just a prime example of rigidity, right? It's like, yeah. I'm comfortable in my current way of viewing the world. I've been in this world far longer than you. You can't possibly know more than me. Therefore, I'm not even going to entertain yeah. um, the idea of trying to answer this question, which seems so abstract despite me working in this world for my entire life and not even being able to define yeah. the term of the things I'm working with. And it just reminded me of that old saying where there's like two young fish and there's one old fish and the old fish says, hey, hey guys, how's the water? And the two fish look at each other and they're like, what is water? Because they've, they're they <laughs> in it. They don't even know that it's that's a thing good. because they're just in it. And I think that's yeah. kind of the the a really good metaphor for where we're at right now, where yeah. it's like, you know, when you ask people, what, what is money? What makes money? What, what makes, um, the piece of paper in your hand better money than the apple I have in my hand. Yeah. And most people haven't even gone through the exercise of, of really like, yeah, why is that? Cause they intuitively, like when you really get them along this path of thinking, they intuitively know some things it's like, well, I can't use the apple to pay for something. It's like, okay, why, why won't people accept the apple as payment? and so they you you see the things the curious people will kind of be like yeah why i've never been i've never asked myself that why is that
1: why 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 did people pick gold right when you understand money it becomes obvious why you picked gold if if you don't understand money it's like gold's random why is gold (laughs) value well (laughs) intrinsic value it's like no not intrinsic value it fits a set of criteria the best and if you don't know what the criteria is right you just make up something like intrinsic value yeah yeah Yeah.
0: you kind of lean on a yeah, a piece of jargon that you think will, <laughs> will, yeah, will give you yeah. a we, pass. We, yeah, we,
1: we give it jargon. And yeah. and then you ask people, what does that jargon mean? They don't even know. So, yep. anyway, I, I think it kind of hammered the point home. I, I, I guess something to make it more practical for people is that, you know, I, I was a little too young to really remember 2008, current financial crisis, but a lot of people remember that. And really fundamentally, what was 2008? 2008 was an unwind of bad insane nonsensical debt that we had in mortgages not all mortgages but a lot of mortgages that have built up over a few years you know a decade or so whatever a couple decades maybe even Depend, you know it's all definitions how long you want to define it but what was 2008 2008 was an unwind of the credit system that lasted you know however long a year just over a year you know until we injected a bunch of liquidity with tarp and and qe and and bailouts or everything of that sort And society was really mad at the bailouts. But what do we have done without the bailouts? The deflation would have continued. The unwind would have continued. And it's like, that's why all this yelling at the government for these bailouts is really pointless. Like, okay, you can yell at them. What's the other option? Yeah, We we don't want the other option because the pain is so high. We will prefer the pain of bailing out the capitalists, of bailing out the businessmen, of bailing out the politicians. We prefer that pain. To the pain of deflation, because we have propped ourselves up, we have leveraged ourselves so much up on insanity and delusion that we don't want to come back to truth. You know, we're like a drug addict that is mad that our drug dealer is skimping a little off the top. It's like, okay, what's the other option? You're not going to take the drug? No, we'll keep taking the drug, and we'll keep taking the drug until we overdose. Right. And that's all. That's all the Bitcoiners are saying. So it's like if you remember 2008, okay, what the Bitcoiners are saying is not oh, the housing market's about to crash like I did in 2008. It's like, no, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the drugs have continued, the drugs will continue, and the drugs will not stop until we are forced via our overdose to come back to reality. Yeah. And in the, in the same way that things began deflating in 2008, imagine that six-month period every six months, and every six months was faster than the last six months. Continually... Forever, and we view that with the with the old world view lens, and we think it's a bad thing because you remember the fear and the panic and the paranoia of that period. But if you view it from the new world, that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing when insanity goes down. It's a good thing when the ability to stimulate goes down. It's a good thing when things become cheaper. It's not a good thing when things become more expensive. And we're so hooked on delusion, we're so hooked on the drugs that we think that's a good thing. It's like it's a good thing when housing becomes more cheaper. It's a good thing when food prices go down. It's a good thing when energy prices... Because that means that there's more of everything. You know, people in the developing world, they need more stuff. And when things become cheaper, when stuff becomes cheaper, they can have more of it. And so and I, I really want to make that clear, too, because I think a lot of the people in the current world view think that the Bitcoiners are like some of these gurus online that are saying, oh, we're about to have a new Great Depression, or, oh, the stocks are about to crash, or, oh, whatever. And we're trying to time the market, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, this is... This is a completely new thing. This is not going to be like 2008. 2008 was a brief few month period where we got a taste in one housing market in one country of what deflation would feel like for a credit market. When like there We was started
0: no- to get a bit of withdrawal. We got the feeling yes. of what the peak of that- withdrawal feels like. And then we just inject it again to try yes. and get rid of the pain.
1: Yes. That's what withdrawal feels like. And people ask me, what's this suspension going to look like? It's going to feel like that on steroids. You know, it, it's going to feel like that on steroids. But the beautiful thing is that there's a way to opt out of the insanity. And, and that's people, most people will not adopt Bitcoin until they have that full withdrawal feeling like they did in 2008. They're, they're going to look at their house. They're going to look at their retirement portfolio. They're going to walk in their financial advisor. They're, they're going to, they're, they're going to, you know, in, in the same way that when you buy a new car and you drive off the lot, it, it, off the lot, it goes down like 20, 30%. That's what it's going to feel like for everything. A car is a consumer good. A house is a consumer good. And because we rely on a credit system, we think that one goes up and the other goes down. It's completely nonsensical. A house goes down in value just like the car. We can make more cars. We can make more houses. Granted, we make houses a little slower than we make the cars. But the only reason the houses don't go down is because we keep propping it up with forever longer mortgages, with forever lower interest rates, with forever more insanity. And we simply can't keep it up forever because reality always wins out. And that's what the people in the big short, were betting on. They were betting on that the reality is going to win out sometime in the near future because this is too insane. And they were right. Reality went out. We began to come back down to reality. And then, because we had the ability to, we created the delusion. We extended the delusion. And right now, the ability for us to extend the delusion is a lot lower than it was then. People trust the government a lot less now than they did then. In five years, ten years, they're going to trust the government even less, most probably, I think um so and we actually and, have and, an exit and, from
0: the delusion for the first time like a, well a yeah sure you know before it was like it could be it could not be it could work it well, could not work Now, yeah. yeah
1: but before what's your other option you know before right. what, what's your other option but now you have the option and that makes all the difference you know when you don't have any other option besides us dollar it's like well i guess that's what i'll have to use but now you have that option and people you know uh, many people are leaving for that new option and when that Hits critical mass like it's just that's that's when you get hyper deflation and that's that's you know that's (laughs) i i I made my point but um yeah that that, that's the long story short that bitcoin will continue to be a curiosity and an oddity and then suddenly maybe over the course of a decade maybe over the course of weeks who knows but over the course of a blip in the grand scheme of things it will go from being viewed as a Curiosity, risk, speculation of people trying to get rich quick or whatever, taking extremely high risk. That's just for young people, extreme speculators. To so suddenly I want a 90% allocation to Bitcoin and I want it yesterday. How do I sell everything as fast as I possibly can? Yeah. And anyway, that you know, it's when that happens, you better do it quick because everyone else is gonna, you know, anyway. Um, yeah, I I I think I think we made that point. I think I've gone enough about that.
0: I'd be really curious just on a, like, personally for yourself. Cause I know for me, there's been times where I've found it kind of hard to actually, you know, it's like, it becomes very difficult to be a sane person in an, in, yeah. in an increasingly insane world. And I think at times I've felt very, uh, alone because it's like, there's like a, a frustration and then a loneliness associated with seeing something other people don't see and don't want to see, and will actually just, you know, shit on you for, for seeing. Um, and I think that's part of why, you know, like these conversations, I always tell people talking to Bitcoiners is my antidepressant, um, because it creates, it's like, oh, wow. Someone else that, that is actually seeing the world rationally can see the illusion for what it is without getting too roped into the, you know, the, the doomsday scenarios. Um, have you found, have you gone through ebbs and flows where you've kind of lost, um, hope or felt lonely or, you know, I'd love to hear just if you've gone through those because, you know, you've kind of been going at warp speed since your first podcast, yeah. since that first thread. Uh, I'd love to know what that journey's been like. And just emotionally, how has the how has the surf been? What kind of waves have you been riding? Because I know for me it's been very I've I've sort of I guess my biggest lesson is I've learned that focusing my energy on what matters and not getting yeah. distracted with the unlimited amounts of distractions that are out there and finding people who I can relate to in terms of my value and having real human conversations um with meaningful relationships that's literally the only thing that I've been able to fall back on that has made me not feel as crazy or as sad about the state of the world so how's it been for you so far
1: yeah it's changed everything i mean i went you know from before twitter you know i family friends coworkers whatever that we're kind of curious what i was saying but we're you know it's like you know it's fine like it like i said the only thing it really irritates me is people don't want to listen at all um you know because it's like before this i never really i i was never a big meme stop guy I never was like oh you gotta buy this or whatever and so it's like you know people i know that know i'm smart hear me pounding the table on this thing and it's like they're not paying attention to it it's like okay well, well, like the story I tell people about how I had an acquaintance who I knew was very intelligent, and I knew he was like all in Bitcoin. I was like, "Okay, wait a second. That's such and that's such a bold, extreme thing. Yep. Either I'm wrong about his intelligence, or I'm wrong about this thing." And that's that's really what helped incentivize me to begin or continue learning, really going go into overdrive. And so that that was very frustrating. Not even so much people to understand Bitcoin, but that. People I knew that knew me to be intelligent were hearing me pound the table on this thing and only pound the table on this thing. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin for years. And, you know, like we've been saying, curiosity is not there. And, you know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, I mean, I, I don't say this out of enjoyment, but, you know, they'll, they'll pay the price for that and the price will be they'll get less Satoshis and we'll get less Bitcoin for it. They'll watch the value of everything that they've owned and worked for over the last 40 years. You know, I mean, I mean that, that's the funny thing. If you spend 40 years in a career and, you know, everything you own goes down 90% relative value versus Bitcoin, okay, you just lost 36 years. I mean, you know, kind of your fault, but, you know, ultimately life's more than money, but, you know, that's, that's your responsibility for losing a third of a century. But um, yeah, so anyway, going from that worldview where I had that frustration to all of a sudden where now I get messages every single day from people saying that I've helped them so much or that I gave a new perspective. Even even before we were talking the call, it's like, it just means so much. So yeah, ebbs and flows, but I think definitely putting my energy into places where people are actually trying to learn or genuinely debate me. Like, I'm thrilled with that. I love it when people debate me. Like, I am hungry for people that have different worldviews that aren't writing me off as dumb simply because I'm young or simply because I'm whatever. You know, like to me, that is so much more rewarding than trying to shake people and ultimately give it up. Like that's one of the Twitter has kind of set me free from having the need to feel like I got to save my friends and family and coworkers, which, you know, it's sad. But part of the freeing thing about posting my stuff online is that I don't feel the need to educate those people anymore. You know, like you know, I I know, like I said before, I know a lot of people that run organizations, churches, charitable missions. It's like, as much as I hate to say it, I don't feel the urge to educate them anymore because they're not going to learn. They don't want to learn. Right. And unfortunately, the people they serve will indirectly uh, face consequences for that. But on Twitter, I can talk to people that do run organizations. You know, I'm talking with the guy who's setting up a charity later this year. I'm talking with people that run missions. All over the world and i'm helping them understand why they need an allocation to bitcoin why they need to set up bitcoin rails or whatever and it's like to me it scratches that itch because the point us bitcoiners right now is we're pounding the town or or pounding the the table on the locomotive and so to be able to find people that actually are going to take what we say at least somewhat seriously and get off zero like yeah so but for many bitcoiners it's very lonely um and, you know, I, I guess my encouragement to them would be just do your best, accept that most people be too arrogant and find people that are interested. Cause like, just give up as brutal as that is, just give up on the people that don't care yeah. because it's that, a waste of energy and you need to a, conserve your energy. It's, it's, it's a character flaw. <clears throat> as my, I like, I have my own flaws. I'm not saying a place of arrogance or virtue signal. It's just, it's just true. i have my own character flaws. One of my strengths is that I'm curious. For other people, they have many benefits I don't have, and I wished I had. Uh, but for some people, they just are too stubborn. They're too stubborn, or or their ego is too large, or they're too distracted. Maybe 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 it's not even arrogance or something more you know vile like that. Maybe maybe they're just you know. But whatever the case is, you know, if you're watching us and you're trying to learn, you know, learn from people that are willing to help educate you, and if you are trying to educate people, just, just give up on the people that don't want to learn, you know, like you're not, you're not going to do it. And, you know, yeah. So, and so I think, yeah, I, I've gone through those periods.
0: Yeah. And I think there's an incredible one thing I've noticed amongst Bitcoiners from every perspective or f- who come from different, different backgrounds brought them to Bitcoin, but now they are, you know, they understand Bitcoin and their, their mission seems to be to spread awareness. They put their energy towards helping other people understand it is the, I mean, just you showing up on this call today is the generosity of time and the willingness to explain Mm -hmm. things to people who actually show good faith, curiosity. And you know, whether it's someone, whether it's the person running the horse ranch that is like, can you tell me a little bit about this, you know, steam (laughs) engine, like I've heard this and you know, I kind of want to learn about it just in case it's something or whether it's someone who owns a horse ranch is like, Hey, I just learned about the steam engine. It's blowing my mind. Uh, how do I get in on that? Like, it seems really intimidating. I can't build my own. how do i go about it and i think there's there's all these almost levels of readiness where people are but i think the key is just the readiness and the willingness for them to take personal responsibility for learning about something right it's not do this for me it's i want to learn more here's where i'm at what's my next step because i you know when i first started learning about bitcoin it was very like piecemeal i would i would have to search really hard to find something that was good quality like andreas antonopoulos was was literally this beautiful source of information that was just truth and honesty and, a, and, and, and just made really complex things, very simple with beautiful yeah. metaphors. Um, and yeah, just trying to be that person for the people who have expressed interest, I yeah. think is what motivates me. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and real quick, if someone's watching this cause I, I get this all the time, like, okay, Luke, that's great. And well, but what do I actually do, you know, for, for those that maybe the message not come across, Take a percentage allocation you can sleep with, buy the Bitcoin, store the Bitcoin properly. Don't leave it on exchange for an extended period of time. Use an exchange at first if that's what you're more comfortable with, but don't leave it there. Store it properly. And then wait, it's that simple. We like yep. to overcomplicate it as an excuse to not learn. Yes. It's that simple. Take a percent you're happy with, buy the Bitcoin, store the Bitcoin, leave it. Yes that's yeah. it anyway that anyway simple. so yeah sorry go ahead yeah what, what else what else are you talk about
0: i got two more things i want to talk about sure. i want to i'd love to hear your perspective you know even in just like 15 minutes on um just the idea that global money based on energy isn't actually a new thing um although the instantiation Correct. of it into reality and actually it being a real thing is relatively new so i want to just pick your brain on you know Ford and Tesla were onto this hundred yes. years ago. What were they missing to be able to bring this into reality that Satoshi had available to him to allow him to do in 2009? And then the last thing I want to talk about is your project that, you know, your passion for <laughs> filmmaking and the case for Bitcoin and, you know, like just the why, how, what I love that frame of, of questioning It's like, why are you creating it? How has the process been so far? What's it about and how could people sort of help or, or track your progress? So let's talk about uh global money based on energy first. Sure. So, 1900, Ford talked about it, 1921, which I find the 21 there really curious. Yeah, um, yeah, that's funny. Tesla talked about it. So can you talk a little bit about what obstacles did Ford and Tesla have? What, what obstacles did they face to bring those thoughts into reality? Um, and what is the, you know, if Bitcoin is this beautiful tree uh, that emerged out of a certain subset of conditions, what is the soil required for huh. something like Bitcoin to emerge? What are the essential elements? You know, just like soil has these essential elements for a tree to actually have what it needs to grow. What was the soil required for Bitcoin to grow that Tesla and Ford didn't have that we now have? I, I, I've heard you talk about this a few times, but I'd love to hear you express it again, because it is, you You do a very, and it seems like your understanding of history is really what allows you to <laughs> do these things. Uh, Curiosity. Just fascinated Curiosity. by. Yeah,
1: yeah. History was always, a curious subject for me it's like you know like again like i'm not looking for buying bitcoin this early i'm looking for being curious enough mm. history is a big part of that but uh but real quick you, you got ford and tesla switch uh tesla was in 1900 Ford was in 21 gotcha uh fuller uh buck fuller was 1960 or you know, 1956 1981 i think or, or maybe 1986 anyway he, he predicted it multiple times once in the 50s 60s once in the 80s i think um let's see who else uh Milton Freeman predicted it, Hayek predicted it, uh Finney, of course, uh, back, of course. Um and there's like three or four more. I I, I have a list. I, I lost I lost it, I think. I need to make it again, but anyway, there, there were there were like a dozen or so, there were many more that kind of predicted, but there were a dozen or so people in the 20th century or early 21st century that really predicted it spot on. So what do they actually predict? Um, you know, when I tell people that they have trouble understanding and when I tell people Bitcoin's inevitable or when I tell people that these people predicted Bitcoin, both of those things are they have trouble understanding. But again, we have to think of some technological paradigms. We have one paradigm now. All these people are envisioning was a different paradigm and that their whole thesis was that this paradigm is what we have now and it works and it's what we need, but it cannot sustain forever and eventually we'll have to upgrade. Really, that's not controversial. It's like the horse works. The horse is going to continue work. We don't have the technology, but eventually we'll probably find a way to use steam or to use some other form of energy to create some form of locomotion. You know, in some way we'll upgrade. Like that's all they were predicting. Um, Tesla, Ford. You know, they were basically saying that the world as it is now, this form of monetary energy, cannot survive forever, and eventually we'll have to upgrade. So, what are those different aspects that they predicted, and then why? because once you understand that, you understand it's inevitable that if humanity survives, we eventually will upgrade. Like it becomes inevitable and then you can backtrack and understand Bitcoin is the most probable manifestation of that upgrade. So what did Tesla predict? What did Ford predict? What did these other predict? What Tesla predicted is basically this problem. I forget the name of the paper. But it's like, it's like a up, problem is upgrading, you know, whatever. Um, shoot, I can't remember now. Um I'm looking it up. The Problem of Increasing Human Energy by Nikola Tesla, 1900, for reference, if people want to read it. The Problem of Increasing Human Energy. Okay, this is one of the problems he outlines. He outlines that our weapons will become so good, so massive, so destructible, and so powerful that they become ineffective as weapons. Okay. Now, he's predicting multiple things there. He's predicting the problem, and then he's predicting the solution. The problem being, our weapons will just get better and better and better and better, to the point where they're more or less useless. And at that point, they're more just threats than anything. You know, that, yeah. that's the nuclear bomb, obviously, that we're referring to. And I would argue that whatever weapons we make here on after the nuclear bomb are going to be only more terrifying. You know, the nuclear bomb is not the final form of this form of kinetic warfare. We'll only make more terrifying weapons this century. Um, but th- that that's the basic problem, that it will become so expensive to wage war that we can't actually have these kinds of conflicts because – you know, controversy, controversy. War actually has positive results. Granted, we don't want it; it's negative. But why do we have war? We have war for self-defense. We have war uh, for settling disputes when political regimes break down. You know, instead of having everything collapse, we just settle war and get it over with, basically. So, often
0: wars are actually what shift paradigms, like what actually yes, reset things, recalibrate yes. things.
1: Yes. Yeah, actually. So I'm not pro-war, obviously, but we we have to we have to admit that when you have weapons get to that point to where that is no longer possible, to where now you have no conflict, global destruction, and there's nothing in the middle, that's a huge problem. How do you settle brute force physical class disputes via projecting power? This is the whole Jason Lowry thesis, which is really strange because Jason Lowry gets a lot of hate, but really he's just paraphrasing what Tesla said. Right. And so Tesla's point in 1900, increasing human energy, was that we have to find a way to project this power non-violently, with without you know killing each other, um, that that's disputed. And so, and so basically what he said is what he described is basically Bitcoin, a form of projecting power w- without violence that can settle these disputes globally without the need of screws, without the need of bloodshed. And it's basically a form of conserving energy. You know, and he goes on and on, but basically what he's predicting is Bitcoin that eventually we find. Weapons that are extremely destructive. Eventually, we would find a way to communicate energy across the world without wires. That's something else he predicted, by the way, the internet. He actually tried to make the internet, too. That's something else people don't realize. He tried to make it. Um, he ran out of funding, but he, he, tried, he tried to make the internet. He failed. Um, but eventually, we'd make these destructive weapons. Eventually, we'd communicate information across the world. And once we're able to communicate information across the world, aka the internet, we need a way to project that influence onto each other nonviolently. Because we can't cross the line into violence because then we just end a nuclear war, you know, or what now we would call a nuclear war, what he would call something else. Um, and Henry Ford uh, came from a different perspective, however, not really that different. He, he said we need to find a way to convert the natural energy of the world into this form of money, this form of incorruptible, you know, scarce money, whatever. And he, he tried to make Bitcoin. Tesla, that yeah, I can find, did not try to make Bitcoin. Uh, Ford did try to make it in uh, the 1920s or whatever. Uh, he, he failed because we didn't have the technology to do it. We didn't have the internet or the computers to do it. Um, but he, he attempted it, and you know th- th- that's essentially what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin takes natural wealth of the world, methane flaring, solar, natural gas, you know, hydro, coal, coal hydro, whatever natural wealth. That, that's what Ford is referring to, and convert it into the money. And that's that's what Ford wanted to do. He wanted to create the largest factories in the world and convert this natural energy into these forms of Energy currency, as he called it, that's that's what Bitcoin is. You're converting hydro energy, you, you're converting hydro energy, nuclear energy, solar energy, wind energy into electricity, and then you're converting electricity into computational energy via computers, and then the computers are converting the computational energy into the digital energy, sats, aka watts, aka bitcoins, aka power, aka whatever. You know whatever you want to call it, the names is irrelevant. Bitcoin yeah. is just a name that Satoshi came up with. You know it's 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 a completely abstract name, but that's what it is. It is a condensation of energy from natural wealth to to computational energy and information into that that's simply communicated on the internet. So I mean anyway, it, it's a lot of heady words, but basically their idea, their, their underlying idea, and then the, the ones later on, basically all saying that we can't have this future world that has all these futuristic technologies function atop of money that is decreed by a government. It simply can't work. It's not a political problem. It's simply a technical problem. It can't function. You know, you you can't have the world operate... You can't have society operate in a world where you can't have war. You, You have to have some form of way for people to settle disputes that doesn't result in global destruction. You know, and so... Bitcoin as a weapon, shield, whatever you call it. Bitcoin is energy. Bitcoin is money. Bitcoin, but it, it's all it's all the same idea that we have to create a way to turn to to marry information and energy that actually is scarce so it can manifest these ideas. And so, anyway, that that's more or less what they predicted. But the 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 stepping stone to get from here to there is the internet and the computer. You can't have Bitcoin without the computer. You can't have Bitcoin without the internet. You need you need both. Well, technically, you could have Bitcoin with radio and, and other frequencies, but you know the internet makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that, those things you need. You need the computer, you need the internet. That's why they couldn't do it, because they didn't have the computer yet. They didn't have the internet yet. But now we do. And now, like I said, you have that worldview, and then you have this worldview, a world based on oil and political currency units, a world based on electricity and electric monetary units. Now you have those two worldviews. Well, at what point should we expect to begin the transition from one to the other? Probably about the time where the internet becomes globally distributed. You know, so early 2000s. When does Bitcoin come about? Early 2000s. There were other times before Bitcoin, dozens of times before Bitcoin. They all failed. First successful attempt was Bitcoin. Only successful attempt was Bitcoin. Uh, early 2000s. Like, okay, that's about what we expect what we expect the characteristics of, the, of this thing to be. Well, if it fulfills Ford's predictions, it should get more resilient and more powerful the larger it grows. Okay, that's what it's been doing for 14 years. China tried to ban it. Russia tried to ban it. Tablin tried to ban it. Uh, Pakistan, India, you know, many countries tried to ban it. They all failed. Okay, that that fulfills that prediction. That makes sense. Okay, it should be a form of energy. It's a form of energy. That makes sense. We should be able to transfer natural wealth into this form of wealth. Okay, that makes sense. It's, it's fulfilling that promise. It should have no deflation, no inflation, be perfectly scarce. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, you know, all all these things that are in this future vision, this future imagination of future world, basically, Bitcoin fulfills perfectly, and th- there's nothing else that even comes close. And so, basically, if that idea is true, and they they're right about a lot of other things, then Bitcoin should be that. You know, it, it's. Once, once you view the world as those two paradigms, then Bitcoin becomes obvious because it's the most probable transition from point A to point B. And even if it's not that, even if it isn't that base layer money of the future world, the, the risk is so high in being fully exposed to the old world that you simply can't do it. You know that, that My first thread that blew up online was comparing us to Romans. And it's, like, it's the same idea. It's like right now, everyone, is, everyone has exposure in olive oil and goats and milk and other commodities of the roman era you know and it's like try try explaining to them that we're about to upgrade to biplanes and oil over the next you know 30 years 20 years 50 years whatever it's like your your diversification this old technological paradigm is about to become irrelevant not not because it's me putting together some fringe conspiracy theory from the government, not because this, it's it's just not because I'm predicting some market crash or timing the market. It's simply technology that you can't have you can't have the technologies of the later 21st century survive on political currency units. It simply can't work because those technologies create an endless amount of deflation. And our current form of money requires an endless amount of inflation. They are inherently contradictory systems. And one or the other is going to collapse. Either fiat will survive and we have no technological progress, or of technological progress and fiat collapses, yep, and that's what's going to happen. And then, and then you have to look at Ford and, and Tesla's predictions of what happens once that thing occurs. And you know, like like Ford predicted, he predicted to be pandemonium, societal just you know craziness, whatever. That's kind of what we have now. But I, I think he was envisioning something more dramatic than what we have today. And I think he's probably right. Like the future paradigm is much better than the current paradigm. Yep. But the transition costs will be extremely high. And that, and that's why I view my, my hope is, you know, I know Bitcoin's going to win even without me. It's just I hope that I can help minimize the fallout from that transition cost because it, it, it's going to be pretty high. And, you know, we, we tend to forget that because of our bias. We forget when we look back in history that transi- transition costs were very high. You know, we transitioned out of slavery into post slavery, and that's a good thing, but we had the Civil messy. War. It was messy. Yeah, we, yeah. We had a massive transition cost of four years that we call the American Civil War. We yeah. transitioned from a society based on hunters and gatherers to agriculture. And that's great. But any society that was based in hunting and gathering collapsed, you know, or going from farming, agriculture to industry like today. That's great. But if you owned a farm and you made your money based on the land of the farm and the crops of the farm, you know, all of a sudden, as soon as the factories are built, it's like all your skills are worthless. All your crops have collapsed in price, which again is a good thing because now people can afford food. But that's, that's kind of where right now, I know it's a long answer again, but, but basically what they predicted is they predicted the principles of Bitcoin. They didn't predict 21 million. They didn't predict proof of work, but they predicted the principles of Bitcoin that eventually the world would have to upgrade to an electric form of currency that was absolutely scarce and that was globally available, that was globally distributed. That was not able to be centrally controlled that was convertible for natural wealth that's what bitcoin is and so yeah that's what they predicted
0: yeah it would be i mean i think it would be irrational to think that in a world dominated by technology we would not go from an inferior monetary technology to a superior one correct like i think it would i think that is actually irrational that's like insane to think that that would be the case when everything else in the world sees technological progress. And, and just the idea that for the average person, deflation is immensely good. It benefits humanity. Yeah. For the people who benefit from this manipulated form of money, it's bad. And yeah. so, you know, and, and I also think, you know, you mentioned the civil war, it's like before when we shifted from, from different paradigms, it was kind of like all or none. And the cost was immensely high as a collective, yeah. right? We all have to go to war. We have to kill each other. We have to do this together. And I don't know that there's been a time where it's like the paradigm shift actually can happen with no bloodshed, no war. Yeah, And it happens on the individual. every person who takes on an allocation of 3% of their wealth into Bitcoin is actually shifting the paradigm. Like, I think it's the only time in history where you can have a neighborhood of 100 people, one person can shift their paradigm independent of the other 99 people. Whereas before we all have to go to war to do it together and the hope is that that person can then (laughs) kind of whisper to the others, Hey, you can, it's way better on this side. This is why you can do it too. Let me help you do it. And I think that's where Bitcoiners sort of emerge as these, um, nodes, you know, for lack of a better word that can emanate this paradigm shift in a way that doesn't require us to be all or none. It just has to reach the threshold tipping point where then the all or none happens. But you know, it's like win well, yeah. the race before we go to war. As yes, yes,
1: exactly. That's a great way to put it. I think something else, too, that people have difficulty understanding is that, you know, one of the most com- if not the most common thing I hear is that, oh, the government won't allow it or whatever. And to, to your point that we can have both feet in, old and new, it's like the government's actually going to enforce it, you know, because like to use, to use your metaphor there of having, you know, exposure to both, it's like if, if you're a newspaper company, and this internet thing's taking off. It's like, okay, you have 100% of your exposure to newspapers and magazines. We'll let you take 5% allocation of your budget, put it in these nerdy blogger types or whatever. You know, just let them go play in their dusty corner office. You know, whatever. But then, you know, obviously, as the internet grows and that grows and grows and grows, then it's going to take 7%, 10%, 20%. It's going to take a larger and larger portion of your budget. And eventually, by the end, you're going to be 80%. Internet bloggers, 20% newspapers and magazines, and you're going to be in your board meeting. You're going to be like, well, we should just cut the last 20%. <laughs> yeah, you know? like that's it, dragging
0: us down. That's a novelty now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're burning money. It's just sitting there. It's like it's going to be the exact same thing. The government is going to say, Bitcoin's stupid, Bitcoin's stupid, Bitcoin's stupid. And then it'll take a little bit. It'll take a little bit more. Blah, 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 and then they will just be all in. And and, yeah. the, and as you say, the race to avoid the war, my concern is that it's so fast that people panic. You know, I mean, look, look at Michael Saylor. Like, what did it take him? Five months? It, like, it, it took Michael Saylor, like, five months. And granted, he's got, like, virtually all control of his company and he could do whatever he want, whatever. But it's like, you know, for, like, that that just needs to be said. That many companies and many yeah. nations that have extreme amounts of control and, and small numbers of people like that, they might make their transition really quickly, you know, in a matter of months or years. They might go from oh, Bitcoin's stupid to like Michael Saylor. Let's I don't sell- have enough Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, let's sell all of our stock. Let's yep. dump all of our stock on our shareholders. Let let's let's borrow as much money as we can, which is inflationary, by the way, in, in terms of credit. And let's buy as much Bitcoin as we can. And I think that's one other thing I want to say too is that, you know, Bitcoiners are not that that people on Twitter, at least at least for me, I don't know about for you. All the time, like you're wanting the end of the economy. You know, you want the dollar to crash, or you want the end of the world. And It's like. No, no, no. We want the end of, or we don't want, where you're just saying it is the end of yes. the credit. It's the end of the credit system as we know it. It's not yeah, the end. It's an observation.
0: System. It really is just it's an, an observation. observation. The economy if reality will, hurts, yes. then maybe you're really far from reality.
1: Yes. The economy will be fine. Society will be fine. Hopefully, we will be we'll have a destruct or World War III. Like, you know, you don't have to have World War Three and the collapse of society with the collapse of the dollar. You will have the collapse of a credit market and the credit system, the dollar, and all those assets that are based in that credit system will collapse, you know, but it's not the end of the world. You know, house prices that have been artificially pumped up for decades will collapse back to what they should be. You know, stocks will crash back to what they should be. 70% of the gains in the stock market are directly as a result of credit creation. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it, you don't, you know, these things are disconnected. And the, and the funny thing is that we all know it. We all know that things are already disconnected. The stock market, house prices, are already disconnected from reality, and like it shouldn't be that crazy to say that the that that destruction of insane credit markets is not the destruction of the sane economy. But you know, I I guess people have trouble making that distinction. But um, but but yeah, and and that's why get off to zero, to your point, is so important because right now most people have a one hundred percent allocation to candles. And now the light bulbs here, all we're saying is get a 5% allocation of candles, you know, maybe 1% to light bulbs. To light bulbs. So yeah. Yeah. Light bulbs. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe 1%, maybe 20%, you know, if you could tolerate it, I think that's great because if this light bulb thing is true, eventually you're going to be 90, 95% allocation. And if you just take that 5% allocation now, you've built a your 95% allocation. And when that panic hits of hyper deflation, and when ready. all your candles are just collapsing in value simultaneously then that emotional burden of i could have bought bitcoin under 10 million dollars and i didn't what is wrong with me you won't have that you won't have that pain
0: because no one stays at five percent like really it's uh, yes. the uh, the saying where your money goes your mind goes it's like all you need is five percent to start actually thinking of this thing and the inevitable process that i've seen i haven't seen this not hold true with anyone that i've spoken to is the number i think i've heard you say this actually every person that puts 5% into Bitcoin starts to realize more and more that the 95% is at really big risk. Yes. Right? And it's like, and actually by transferring 5%, you've now decreased the, the value of that 95%. And so the exactly. inevitable flow is, well, I need 10%. Oh, shit. Now I need... And it's like, (laughs) now I need as much as I can. I think, you know, I would love to, it's like, I hope someone makes a movie one day about what those five months were for Michael Saylor, because, you know, just based on the type of person he is and his incessant drive to learn and understand something that he can't, it's like, I bet you. There wasn't much margin in terms of, I bet you, he wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep until everything was transitioned over. And I don't think anyone else can do it that fast at that scale, but it just shows that like, his sense of urgency, I bet you, was existential when oh, he was. really saw, was. like when he put the glasses on and saw things clearly, he was like, oh, shit, I, all of that stuff is at huge risk. Yes. And I need to literally yes. do this as quickly as possible because it, it allows yes. me to save as much as possible. And when people get that, you know, it's, it's literally just what is the fastest rate of change that yes. I can get on. Uh, And that's going to vary for different people and different companies based on complexity. But the the interesting thing is the companies that will take the longest to do it are the ones who are the biggest and actually have the most wealth. And they may have started 12 months ago, but it takes a long time. And so, you know, the cool thing is now for once, the individual actually has an advantage to get in front quicker than the big companies and the big countries with all the wealth and to not take advantage of that. You know i think i think the reward we get for living in the craziest time maybe ever in humanity is that you know it's like we deal with all this chaos and suffering but the reward we get is that we have access to the world's best money before everyone else every other human that comes after us and it's like maybe that's the the counterbalance to what we're going through right now i don't know
1: yeah maybe i don't know i, I mean as crazy as <laughs> the world is today it's I'd much rather be alive today than any point in the past, you know? Same. Same. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, that, that's just me. Um, yeah. I, I think Michael Saylor's a great example uh, for, for many things We talked about this, this discussion, actually. One of them is the arrogance factor. It's like, okay, people aren't listening to me. That's fine. And honestly, Michael Saylor should be the best example. Michael Saylor has been a billionaire for 30 years. He predicted <laughs> Apple before it went up like, you know, 20 X or whatever. It would. Everyone, when people thought he was crazy, because Apple stock had already gone up. He's saying no, Apple, 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 Apple. They have a monopoly. Blah blah. blah. You know, p- people adored him. Uh, it's like you know, he's still a multi-billionaire. He's run this company for decades, and despite it crashing in the dot-com boom. I mean, you, you could criticize him for his company stock crashing, but all the internet stocks crashed then, and the fact his company survived actually, I think, is a testament to something. At least, yeah. It's like okay, this clearly not dumb person. Okay. At the very least, he's not stupid. Okay. In the course of a few months, he went from thinking that Bitcoin was the result of online gambling or whatever to being all in and being all in that quick. And it's clear, he's made it very clear in his interviews over the last three years that he sleeps better at night now with, you know, 150% all in Bitcoin. Like, he sleeps better now. He, he's happier with his business now. And you know, it, yeah. So I, it, the fact that that has happened, and more wealthy people are not paying attention, goes to show the level uh, which people are not willing to pay attention. Now, I, I do think more people are paying attention, but it's nowhere close to what it should be. So, so I think that's something to pay attention to. And then the other thing you said was very interesting: is that you know people don't realize that these these kinds of thoughts, of like oh, Bitcoin is going to be risk off, whatever. Like people don't realize that it's baked into the game theory; it can't be any other way you know it's like like let's take a bank run you know we've had th- th- three of the four largest bank runs in american history have happened this year in 2020 or only half or 2023 and we're only halfway through it's like what's the game theory of a bank run if i have a thousand dollars let's say a hundred dollars in a bank um you know and i there's a rumor of a bank run, runs like okay i'll just take out 10 bucks you know long shot my bank's probably fine whatever Take out 10 bucks and i go home i have dinner and i realize wait a minute I just take out ten bucks. My neighbor's probably taking out ten bucks. <laughs> They're probably taking. Wait, if we all take out ten bucks, that means my other ninety bucks is probably a a little higher risk. Okay, well then maybe I should take out. I, I should have taken out fifteen dollars instead of i I'll go back to tomorrow and I'll take out another five dollars something. So I so I, I go to the bank. I drive up. I get there. I'm about to take another five dollars. And
0: there's a like, hundred people there.
1: <laughs> well, well, and, and yeah, and, and then there's like three more people there than normal. I'm like, okay, maybe I should take out twenty dollars. Because the more you take out, the more you realize that the rest is at risk. That's the problem of a credit unwind. That's exactly what happened in 2008. Everyone thinks it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Until suddenly it begins to unwind and you realize that the whole perspective of risk has just changed. And now you have to get out. And the more you take out, the higher risk everything else is. And and that's what happens. That's what's going to happen when it comes to Bitcoin. It's just going to start going up and everyone's going to freak out. And when they freak out, they'll take a 1% to 3% allocation. When they take a 1% to 3% allocation, like me, for example, I took a percent allocation. I still owned mutual funds and I still own real estate. I was like, what am I doing? I should have a higher percent. allocation." So I took a higher percent allocation. I took a higher percent allocation. And then, you know, a few months ago, I I had Tesla stock and I sold the last of that because it's like, I like Tesla as a company, but it's like, even if... Compared to other stock markets, even if it were a better stock, and I think there's a strong case that Tesla stock's a better stock than most other stocks. It's like, even if it was, and perhaps it's not, even in the most probable case that it is, it's like, why would I own that?
0: It's safer to own the money.
1: Why yeah, why it's safer than it's safer. And and when when these banking failures started, I was like, why am I still holding Tesla stock? This is stupid. I gotta sell it. And I was like, Oh, but I I, I like the company. It's like, yeah, but. My, my my risk converse little minion in my head was like just sell it so I sold all of it yep. and you know Tesla stock will go up in terms of dollars but Bitcoin will probably go up in terms of Tesla stock probably forever. And, and so that that's that's the thing I try to educate people about. And and I know you want to talk about the movie too. So that's why I would make the movie. Because far too many people are addressing the symptoms. Far too many people think Bitcoiners are conspiracy theorists and many of us are um but you know what is the fundamental problem here? People are not thinking about technology. And it's not even when it comes to Bitcoin. Like, think about AI. Think about electric vehicles. Everything I'm saying about Bitcoin is true for those two. You know, it's like the the automakers, the GMs, the Fords, Chryslers, you know, Toyos, whatever, those companies will just be done for because they can't afford to make the transition to electric vehicles like the companies are doing what electric vehicles are doing now. And, you know, I, I think electric vehicles are a little overhyped, you know, whatever, like, you know, whatever. But it's like, regardless of that, one way or another, we will eventually upgrade to electric vehicles. It's just obvious. Yeah. Even if you don't believe in the climate, you know, whatever. Even if you don't believe in that, it's obvious we'll upgrade to those. And so, it, it, and then once you do once you do the basic due diligence of these automakers, you realize that, okay, basic technological paradigms, they can't transition. They're done for. They're taking time bomb, you know, or take AI. AI is developing so fast. As a for you know, as a filmmaker, you know, it's like right now there's a writer strike and uh, what, actor strike right now? It's like, it's exactly what's happening in the film industry. Hollywood is being gutted because any kid can write an entire feature-like script in a matter of hours now. And right now, you know, you can do crazy things with Photoshop. You can do crazy thing with AI. In five or 10 years, you'll probably will make a whole feature film on like a thousand, you know, the the cost of producing a feature film is probably going to go down by a factor of 100 to 10,000.
0: Yeah, you can over. make a feature film from your bedroom in ten I years, probably.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, over the next five to fifteen years, the, the cost yeah. of making a feature film is going to go from a hundred million dollars to a million dollars, and then from a million dollars to a hundred thousand dollars. It like that's deflation, because AI can just produce it. And yeah, we might still produce films of the traditional sense, but for every one of those, we'll just produce a hundred more of the new kind. And yet you're we're sucking away that incentive, and so Hollywood's just being gutted. They're all rioting, or excuse me, protesting, not rioting. Um, or at least, uh, as far as I know, the pro—hopefully not rioting. Hopefully everyone's being safe and smart and ethical. Um, but it, it, it's all the same thing. It's all paradigms. It's all technological paradigms. It's all the same thing.
0: It's like blockbuster employees uh, yes, protesting Netflix. Thing. It's like you can—you can do that. Um, people yes. might listen. You might get some attention, but it actually doesn't change anything about the momentum of technological change. It just yes. doesn't. Yes. Um Yeah
1: history is full of examples of people who ignore technological change and it is the single most painful preventative thing that people willfully do they willfully ignore technological change because they want to think they can get by and perhaps that's true for a period of time but anyway we are seeing it all over society right now and all these different things that these paradigms are changing and they're changing faster and faster and faster. And the biggest paradigm change of all is Bitcoin and the Bitcoin paradigm change is the antidote to all these other changes. Mm. Because what do you tell these writers that are about to go to business? What do you tell the people on the assembly lines of Ford that are about to lose their jobs in the next five to 15 years? Like, what do you tell them? Because they're not employable anymore in the same way that the horse is no longer employable because the locomotive, it's like, that's the, that's why people don't want to believe all these technological changes. It's right. because they don't want to accept the economic incentive to hire them. You, you can't pay these people $50 an hour anymore. Maybe $10 an hour, maybe $5 an hour eventually. But it's like the, the economic incentive to hire them simply is not there. And we think that's a bad thing. And there are negative trade-offs. And that negative trade-off is that they can't earn an income. And so when there are less means to earn an income, you have to have a way to store your economic value. When, when the options for producing an income go down, you have to have a better option for saving for the future. And so really, the, the writers that are protesting right now, like you said, that they're, they're blockbuster employees protesting Netflix. But really the problem that needs to be solved for them is not regulating or stopping the inevitable march of technology. It's, it's directing them towards a form of technology that's actually going to help them save their economic energy into the future. Yeah. Because then no matter how Far down their wages go, no matter how far their wages deflate along with everything else in society, those def those deflationary productivity gains in society flow back to the money and it offsets all those losses, so to speak. Like that's what we and that's why you can't have all these technological paradigms survive with political currency units, with US dollars. They can't, they can't coexist.
0: They can't coexist.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't can, they, they can't happen And so that's what this movie is going to focus on. It's going to focus on. Energy. It's going to focus on technology making energy more abundant. It's going to focus on money being the informational system at which we communicate, ener- we communicate energy to one another. And it's going to focus on how, up to this point in history, we've manipulated, manipulated, manipulated energy and distorted it for our own short-term gain, and how Bitcoin actually resolves that issue and actually is essential in, in repricing all these all these coming paradigms and helping people save for the future. Because you know that that's that's going to be the unfortunate truth. The AI is just going to continue. People are going to have less and less and less jobs, and the government is just going to continue to steal and steal and steal people's wealth to offset the deflation of these technologies. And you need Bitcoin to bridge that gap. It, it's exactly what's been predicted. It's exactly what makes sense. It's the perfect timing, and that that's what the move is going to be about. It, it's about Bitcoin, but it it's also about energy. It's about people understanding the transition. And so th- that's the why. The why is to help people understand because as soon as the government figures this out, as soon as you get fifty Michael Saylors, you know, the, the opportunity for the average person to adjust before things become hundred times more difficult to adjust than they are now, it is it, done for. You know, right now yeah. you can buy a lifetime's worth of Bitcoin for hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very precious window of opportunity.
1: I know. It doesn't five come years, twice. No, it doesn't come twice. It's just gonna come once. In five years, that cost would be $10,000. Like, how many people do you know that $10,000? Right. How many people don't you know have a hundred bucks? It's like, you know, it's- it, How many and, people
0: do I know that I could forfeit coffee for a month and buy a lifetime <laughs> generational wealth of Bitcoin? But yeah, I have yeah, no idea exactly. that that's the case. Yeah. And I, I think filmmaking is like, creating films is, is basically the modern day expression of an ancient learning technology, which is storytelling and you know like what where did this love for filmmaking come from because obviously making a film is not an easy thing right there's probably yeah. i don't know much about it but why do you w- <laughs> what is the gravitate like you can do podcasts or you can make a film why a film
1: because people's are short, because people's attention spans are just garbage so <laughs> you, know, you know it's just people will not watch this two-hour podcast i'll send this podcast to probably a dozen people maybe one maybe, well, yep. no, maybe three will click on it want to watch it like most of the way through you know if, if i've 10 minutes to, maybe yeah yeah if you're watching this good for you but um you know it's it, it, because because t- t- that, that's why it, it's very low quality it's just conversation this is useful and everything but and you know t- to a certain extent they're right because in our discussion here you know we've probably repeated the same number of ideas you know a few different times different ways so there's a certain bit of repetition you know like that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing it's, it's just how conversation goes but you know people won't be willing to do that but they might be willing to watch a well-produced articulate film it has visuals, it has idea to idea to idea um, logically placed, you know, and, and so that's the idea. Most people won't read a book, they won't watch podcasts, but they might watch a movie. And that movie might at least, it, in your story from earlier, get people to think, what is money? What, what, what is the worldview that I actually have? Hmm. Because most people think that the Bitcoin worldview is crazy because they don't realize that they're in a worldview themselves. You know, that, that's the ultimate reality. And the movie is an attempt to expose the worldview people currently believe and then expose them to this differing worldview and just make it obvious by so well-defining the problem that they're like, oh, wait, my worldview is crap.
0: Mm. It
1: It is garbage.
0: Yeah, make it unequivocally obvious.
1: Yes, make the problem so obvious that the solution becomes inevitable because that that's that's really what it is, that if Bitcoin is what we think it is, and I think there's at least a ninety five percent chance we're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like those odds.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably more like ninety nine, but you know, you know it's like the, the odds are so high, and helping people at least take that first step of willing to admit, you know, I might be wrong about this new thing because I was wrong about the current thing, you know, and that's really what most people are. Most people are wrong about their current worldview because they don't even realize they have a current worldview. Right. So,
0: so in it, they yeah. don't even see it for what yeah, it is. Exactly. They're, they're in the water. They don't even know what water is.
1: Well, 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 that, well that, that's the matrix metaphor. You know, Bitcoiners love the matrix movie. And, and that's why is that we're in this world. The world's been fine for us. But we believe a certain subset of assumptions that are not true. And once you as soon as you realize that those aren't true, like I did. And, you know, a few years ago, then immediately it becomes, wait a minute. If I was arrogant enough. I was naive enough to think that these things were true and everyone else still thinks these things are true. That's a really big problem. Hmm. That's what we saw in 2008 when everyone was so sure. Well, what's the, what's the Mark Twain quote? Um, I, 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 someone, someone told me it was in, I've not seen the big short the movie. Uh, people can tell me you need to watch it, but I, I've heard it's in the movie too. The Mark, you don't know the Mark Twain quote. It's not the things you don't know that cause you trouble. It's the things you, you think, you know, that aren't true. Yes, that. And, and that, that. and that's what most people are right now. Most people assume things to be true that simply are not true. And that, that's what the movie is hopefully attempting to do, to, to build up from first principles so well that people begin to realize that maybe not everything they believed about the world as it is, is precisely true. And once you realize that, and then you just, once you look at the lies, then you see truth, obviously. So, yep.
0: When are people going to be able to watch the movie and how do they support
1: you? Well, I, I really want to post it online for free. That, that, that's the hope. Um, I, I've been fundraising for it. It's been a great uh, support so far. I've been fundraising for about a month. Um, online, we've raised about 15 million Satoshis, which is about $4,000, something like that, at, cool. today's, at, at today's filming uh, or at today's recording of the podcast here. Um, Are
0: you going to make it value for value? I'm, I'm really excited for the day that we have a Fountain equivalent for, like, think if YouTube and Fountain had a baby, censorship resistant streaming sats, value for value it's like the more people watch the more they contribute but yeah i'm sure you could just you know make it value for value if people get value from it they send you sets i think that's the way yeah, of the, yeah. the future
1: that's yeah i think it's the, way of the future but we're not there yet so you know that, that's the unfortunate reality i'll probably just post it online for free i know it probably wouldn't make money if i try to uh sell it and you know so yeah right now i'm just trying to find ways to cover costs uh, cover my cost, cover the cost of filming, cover the cost post production, which is probably where most of the cost will go. Oh well, no, but definitely where the cost will go, uh, because you know the script is easy. I vol- I'm volunteering all my time to write the script and and film the thing. So, um, yeah, I-, I I think it'll be pretty good. And-, and my hope is that to make it good enough and to finish it soon enough and quick enough that number one, it's useful for people. But number two, that it's well enough made that perhaps in the future we get more funding or able to create a bigger project with a bigger vision uh because you know 2024 2025 will probably be pretty big years yes. just 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 looking at credit markets looking at interest rates you know probably some fireworks are going to happen 2024 2025 2026 so i want to do everything i can to prepare um, for that uh for the people so you know we'll we'll see how that goes but but yeah that, that's the hope of the movie um and and yeah, if people want to support, any donation would be really valuable. The the goal is for every dollar donated, every U.S. political currency unit that's going to go to zero anyway, uh, the, or trend towards zero. Uh, that the hope is for every dollar spent on production that we orange pill one person. You know, cool. so roughly twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand people. I it, it yeah, twenty thousand bitcoiners. You know, million views. That's two percent bitcoiner to view ratio, or whatever. And you know. I, I think I, I hope we get a million views or half a million views or something substantial. And if that's the case, then I think easily we'll orange pill 20,000 people. So, so yeah. It, and if you donate 30 bucks, then then we'll put your name in the credits unless you want to remain anonymous. But hopefully that way it could be a little a easy way for you to orange pill your family or friends or whatever. Like, hey, I, I'm in the credits. <laughs> yeah. I helped make this movie. It's got a million views, a million people see my name. You might want to watch it. Cool. And then if I do a good enough job, it'll be entertaining enough that so they actually keep watching it. So anyway, if you, if you don't like 30 bucks, get name of the credits, find a way to orange pill people. You know, how many hours do people spend trying to orange pill friends or coworkers? I mean, you know, if anyway, so we're about a quarter of the way there. Or no or no, about a fifth of the way there in terms of funding it, um, which got got a long way to go, kinda kind of like Bitcoin. We have a long way to go, but we've come a long way in a short period of time. And I'm optimistic. So
0: Amazing. Luke, thank you for joining us at the Bitcoin Store today. If people wanna Read or watch or follow what you do. How do they find you on the internet? Either you personally or how to support your film?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Luke Royals, Broyles B R O Y L E S. YouTube, same thing. Some I keep posting about YouTube, yet people say they don't realize they have a YouTube. So I do have a YouTube. It's Luke Broyles. Um, I've got like fifteen thousand Twitter followers, two thousand YouTube subscribers or whatever. So that, that feels great. Cool. Um, and then. For the film specifically, it's the case for Bitcoin. It's Geyser's featured project right now. So if you just look up Geyser, there's also a GoFundMe by the same name, the case for Bitcoin. So if you could donate to either of those, that would mean the world to me. Uh just help me get this thing done, you know. And like like we started this conversation with, my hopes to have as many people in the developing world upgrade to better forms of energy as quickly as possible. And I think Bitcoin is one of the most urgent upgrades of energy for people and so hopefully this film inspires you know even this you know some people have asked me why waste your time on this film or whatever it's like you know if if i could just help one person um you know if i could just have one dad of three kids in india or indonesia or guatemala you know s- somewhere in the world get on a bitcoin standard that helps them you know have a different life yeah yeah yeah, help them live our better life and help them make it through the transition costs. Like to me, that's worth it. And being on Twitter, getting all the positive messages from people, you know, many of which are in the developing world, it it's really something. So yeah, if you're able to help me make this film, it it mean a lot to me. So.
0: Amazing. Luke, thank you for everything you do. To everyone listening, thanks for being here. If you enjoyed the conversation, you can support the project by heading to BitcoinStore.com, sending some stats to the QR code on the homepage. Or instead of doing that, why don't you find Luke's project, help him make the film, help us (laughs) make a really juicy orange pill that we can help Uh, a bunch of people in the world, a bunch of curious people. Um, Yeah, that's it. Thanks for being here and we'll catch you later.
1: Yeah, best wishes everyone. Thank you.